Hi, welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast, where I, Pa Vu, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. When we first arrived in the U.S. in 1990, my untainted ears still longed for the steadiness of a storyteller's tone. In the evenings, when mothers called their kids home for dinner and crickets began their soothing songs, my siblings and I gathered around our dad to hear sweeping tales of monsters and heroes and magic and a tradition that had been practiced long before a book, a TV, or a tablet became the norm. Before we became obsessed with Looney Tunes and Disney movies and Power Rangers, dad would entertain us with folk tales passed down to him from his father and his father before him. We sat on the ground, arms wrapped around our knees as Dad's voice, seasoned from years of chanting ceremonial songs, rounded out vowels and consonants, joined high and low tones, and rhymed to compose a monstrous flood that reached so high it knocked on heaven's door. The Sky King opened the door, saw that a flood had covered earth, and waved the water away so life could return. Next, the drama of an orphan boy shunned by his family, but not by the fish he mercifully returned to the sea. It turned out to be the dragon king who, in his gratitude, gave the orphan a daughter in marriage. Then, a hero journeying to the caves of a terrifying tiger to rescue a maiden who may or may not have wanted to be rescued. Only the storyteller knew the truth. Putting pen to paper is still a new phenomenon in the Hmong community. About 70 years new, but art isn't. Storytelling, the kind my dad practiced, the kind that asks you to arrange oral melodies in sprawling symphonies, is a dying art. It's dying because a generation has stopped listening, and all the dads in all the world have stopped telling, and the stories have stopped asking to be told. So even though I loved these stories as a child, I also eventually stopped asking my dad to tell them. And by the time I was in fifth grade, I was reading books in English. I was reading Hatchet, My Brother Sam is Dead, The Sign of the Beaver, Sarah Plain and Tall, and many more titles that tell the American story and shape the American identity. By the time I was in sixth grade, My favorite book was The Witch of the Blackbird Pond by Elizabeth George Spear, and I had forgotten all about the monstrous flood and the orphan boy and the hero who rescued the maiden from the tiger. A popular advice I often see authors give to fledgling writers is, write what you know. What I know is that the more American I became through the books I read, the less I started to value the Hmong culture. I became so un-Hmong that I started writing about what it was like to be anything but a Hmong girl. I pretty much gave myself permission to loosely define what it was that I knew. And I made excuses to not write about my Hmongness. So much so that I began writing characters who had ambiguous ethnic identities. 
I wrote my first full-length novel in grad school and two more after, but they always felt like pulling a difficult tooth. There was a lot of resistance, mostly because I was just learning how to write a novel, but also because something was missing. Something I had lost a long time ago. For at least 20 years, as a result of assimilation, I had forgotten about the orphan boy, and the monstrous flood, and all the characters in all the tales my dad told. I had forgotten about who I really was. So when I saw Jenny Han's book, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, at Barnes & Noble, I literally did a double take. No way they put an Asian girl on the cover of a hardback book. No way. Maybe a paperback, but certainly not a hardback. But I picked up the book with my own hands and... OMG, it really was an Asian girl. This was real. The fact that this Asian girl was on the cover of this book somehow stupidly validated my existence. It somehow told me that my experience mattered. People who look like me who have black hair and brown eyes mattered. In that moment in Barnes & Noble, I was 14-year-old me again. Jenny Han had written a book that spoke to the teenager in me. And that's why my greatest dream is that one day I will be lucky enough to publish my own book. And it will have an Asian girl on the cover. This is a combination of a blog post and a short essay I wrote some time ago to express the sadness I felt at watching myself be slowly erased through assimilation to American culture. I'm not one to sit around. When I notice a gap, when I notice that I can do something about something, I'm usually formulating a plan in my head. Then I'm usually ready to present that plan in a matter of days, maybe hours, depending on the scope of the project. So when I realized that I had been writing novels with characters who were either white or ethnically ambiguous, I made a conscious choice to create characters who were Hmong. And when I realized that there was a gap in the research on Hmong language shift in the U.S., I made a conscious choice to go back to school. Like I said, I'm not one to sit around. Given all of this, what scares me most about going back to school isn't statistics although that's pretty scary. Because if you know me, you know that I hate math. Like, I hate it. <laughs> I sometimes have a hard time counting to five on my own hand. <laughs> it isn't fear of failure or fear of sounding not smart enough in front of my peers. And it isn't being unemployed during a pandemic or a recession. I'm scared of all of those things, too as I mentioned in episodes one and two of this podcast. But what scares me most about going back to school is the idea that I might not have time to write. That I might not have time to finish my book with the Asian girl on the cover. That in the process of becoming educated, I'm also opening myself up to be erased again. When I was in 10th grade, while taking one of those exams where you spend the first 30 minutes bubbling in personal information, your name, grade, age, etc., 
a few of my peers and I ran across a question we didn't understand. So naturally, a couple of us went to ask the teacher. He was a semi-retired, tall and mustached teacher who didn't seem to be teaching a full load anymore. He was substituting for our teacher that week. I don't remember who went up to his desk with me. And I don't remember how the question was worded exactly on the form that we had to fill out. But based on what happened next, I could guess. It's been about 20 years, so my memory of that moment is a bit blurry. There were two of us at his desk where he sat. I stood behind one of my peers looking over his shoulder as he showed the teacher the question that we, all of us who were Hmong, were struggling with. After a quick look at the question, the teacher grabbed a pencil and began filling in the bubble next to what he thought was the correct answer. The answer was Vietnamese. You're Vietnamese, he said to my peer, who was clearly not Vietnamese. I don't think, someone said, attempting to doubt the teacher. I want to say it was me. I wish it was me. I wish I had been courageous enough to speak up, but I can't remember, to be honest. No, you're Vietnamese, the teacher interrupted. He stood up and looked at all of us, all of us who were Hmong. You're Vietnamese, so bubble in Vietnamese. My peer and I went back to our desks. He kept his answer as Vietnamese. The rest of us looked at each other and whispered, we're not Vietnamese. And we quietly bubbled in other. I've bubbled in enough of these questionnaires in my life to guess that the question was probably, what is your ethnicity? Later that day, one of us said something to another staff member at the school, someone who was more knowledgeable about the history of the Hmong people. And something happened behind the scenes. I don't know what exactly. The next day, the teacher said that we should bubble in other. He never apologized. This is just one example of the many times in my life when I've encountered erasure. Whether on purpose or not, whether out of ignorance or hate, whether it was in the classroom, in the different jobs that I held, or in the community, I have been asked directly and indirectly to give up parts of myself. I've been asked to give up my name. I've been asked to give up my ethnicity. I've been asked to give up my language. And I'm tired of giving up parts of me. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to erase one part of me to gain another part of me. I don't want to erase the part of me that wants to write a novel so that I can replace it with the part of me that wants to save the Hmong language. I guess what I'm saying is, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to write my novel and get a PhD. And that's scary. That's so, so scary. Because that's a lot of work. There's a quote that I keep seeing online. It goes something like, You can do everything, you just can't do everything at the same time. I want to take this quote even further and say, You can do everything you want to do, 
you just can't do it all at the same time. But you can sure try your darnest with a good plan. Just be prepared to recognize when you're hitting your limit. What will it look like? And when you do hit your limit, what are you going to do to make sure you don't burn out? So, will I be able to have my cake and eat it too? I hope so. And maybe it's not about having my cake and eating it too. Maybe it's about eating my cake and also having banana bread. Am I scared that I will have to give up a part of me in order to complete this PhD? You bet I am. But will I still jump into this new phase of my life anyway? Yes, definitely. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review will go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would very much appreciate it if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to help me run this podcast, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. That's ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. Every dollar helps. Lastly, to access transcripts and submit listener questions, go to www.onbecomingeducated.com.